It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere that it needs to be. Today, we're going to touch on a very interesting topic, uh, that of legislation that has uh, been put in place in 19 states so far to limit um, municipal networks and public networks of any kind, uh, varying degrees of, of restriction. But in the last year, we have seen opposition raised to a number of these bills uh, that we either introduced for the first time or introduced to make current restrictions even more restrictive, and we've been able to, to fight back against those. Uh, today, I'm broadcasting live from the SOTOA conference, which is um, here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it's been an interesting conference because this morning, a number of folks, including one of the legislators from the North Carolina legislature, was very much vocally opposed to the bill, which has been very restrictive here in the state, and is advocating a lot for people to uh, to, to mobilize and advocate and to influence elections and basically turn the tide. Uh, our guest today is um, broadband attorney, telecom attorney, and uh, a national advocate for communities being allowed to make informed choices uh, regarding their broadband uh, decisions, Jim Ballard. I think a lot of you will probably know Jim and have read uh, you know, his newsletter that he, that he sends out. Jim, welcome to the show. Craig, thank you for having me. I'm uh, uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here. No and worries. I thank you for all that you have done over the last several years to um, uh, help the uh, communities in the various states resist the uh, efforts to curtail their efforts. Thank you very much, Jim. And, and it's true. We have worked together for a number of years, and I can honestly say I don't think anyone in, in the U.S. knows more about the intricacies of how these legislative actions take place and they unfold. Uh, there's been an ebb and flow that goes with that, and Jim has pretty much followed this for uh, a number of years. And so I really want to just go into what has been going on and get a sense from you, Jim, about how, um, you know, what does, this, what does this mean? Are we really seeing a change in, in, in uh, how, how these things are going? Starting with Georgia, I think Georgia was the big battle last year, right, where they introduced um, uh, legislation then. Let me pull back for a second and give a, a broader overview that will put all this into context and will help answer your question as to whether this is a swinging of the pendulum the other way or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Um, we've had waves of uh, proposed barriers uh, over the last uh, close to 20 years, uh, right after the Telecommunications Act of uh, 1996 was enacted. We had the first wave of uh, barriers in 1996, 1997. Mm -hmm. um, maybe uh, eight, nine, ten states looked at barriers at that time. Uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I think that uh, we were. With the benefit of hindsight, I think that uh, we were uh, we were surprised and uh, didn't estimate correctly the potential dangers of those laws. Mm -hmm. We had a provision of the Communications Act that we had uh, argued to be in that act that would preempt these barriers. We had a case before the FCC that we thought was going to be decided in our direction. It didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Second wave um, 
in the early 2000s, a new kind of barrier was introduced, one that pretended to be a level playing field, fair competition promoting legislation, but in fact had restrictions that uh, not anyone could meet, public or private, but mm -hmm. these, these were smoke and mirrors laws. Um, and in uh, 2004, the Supreme Court ultimately ruled against uh, municipalities in a matter called Nixon versus Missouri Municipal League. Mm -hmm. Later that year, we had a, an awful Pennsylvania law. Oh, and, yes. And the that following one. year, uh, 14 states uh, introduced barriers. Uh, we beat off, uh, e either defeated entirely or watered down almost all of them. Uh, and then over the course of the next few years, 2006 to about 2010, uh, we won all the battles in the states. Mm -hmm. In 2010, we had the um, election in which the uh, Tea Party uh, won a number of seats in state legislatures and uh, effectively uh, pressed Republicans into being more anti-local uh, government than mm -hmm. they had been. And so we saw a new little bump of uh, uh, bills introduced uh, in 2011, 2012, 2013, and now this year. Uh, we, uh, North Carolina, after we'd been successful for five years, finally succumbed and passed a bill in 2011. Uh, next came uh, South Carolina in 2012, mm -hmm. a couple of other states toughened their laws. And um, last year, uh, Georgia, I think, was a very important uh, turnaround because um, not only did Georgia, for the second time, defeat a bill, but it defeated it by a substantial majority on the floor of mm -hmm. the House of Representatives. Okay. Usually the bills are defeated or delayed in, uh, or bottled up in, in committee. This one actually went to the floor. And this year so far, uh, we have uh, uh, stopped the Kansas bill and uh, think that uh, it won't come out of committee always remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. uh, a bill that would have restricted the uh, uh, tax incremental financing for municipal telecom projects in uh, uh, Indiana did not pass. In Utah, uh, grassroots uh, individuals stopped a couple of bills that would have had an adverse effect on the Utopia project. Mm -hmm. And in uh, Tennessee, uh, after uh, several years of introducing bills to try to remove the territorial restrictions on a number of communities, including Chattanooga, the, the bill did not pass again, but it won support from uh, new quarters, new kinds of arguments, even by uh, very conservative people who began to ask questions about whether these uh, restrictions are in fact good for mm -hmm. the communities involved in the private sector and the nation as a whole. So do we have a pendulum swinging in the opposite direction? It's probably too soon to say, but it's very gratifying to see that uh, uh, communities everywhere are seeing what's going on with Google Fiber and AT&T announcing it's going to uh, match Google in Boston and go to Dallas itself. Mm -hmm. CenturyLink has experimental uh, projects. Seaspire is uh, applying the same kind of model as Google in, in Mississippi. So I think more and more communities are saying, wait a minute, we want Google. Google's not likely to come uh, to us anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Why should we be restricted from partnering with the private sector, or if necessary, providing for our own needs, uh, aren't we just like we were a century ago when the country was electrifying and the private sector couldn't get to all the communities or didn't want to quickly enough? So history seems to be repeating itself. We'll just have to see over time how far and how fast that will happen. Right. So now if you look at... Um, what happened last year in Georgia, and you look at um, the, well, we'll get to Tennessee in a minute, but if you look at Utah and Kansas, um, is, it, is it correct to say that the level of 
civic engagement has increased dramatically? I mean, especially when you look at Kansas. Cause well, uh, certainly civic engagement has always been critically important. That's why we won all those battles. Mm -hmm. um, when you deal with a state legislature in a legislative season, you, you have to have people in the hallways literally every day. Uh, and if the uh, uh, organizations, individuals, uh, private sector entities that want to do business with local governments and all that can get their acts together and support people being at the legislature day in and day out. That's mm -hmm. what you need to do. And um, uh, that happened in Georgia. Uh, it was a very well organized and um, uh, active uh, campaign there. Obviously, you wouldn't have gotten a victory on the floor mm -hmm. of the legislature without that. Uh, certainly in Kansas this year, uh, under the leadership of Chanute uh, and the uh, Kansas uh, Municipal Utilities and many other allies, uh, that's what it took to bottle up that bill in a very conservative uh, state legislature. Um, and uh, Utah, that was a you know, grassroots opposition that uh, stopped the two bills from mm -hmm. uh, moving forward. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, support of active opponents of these barriers is the critical, uh, the, the critical ingredient in the success of these uh, efforts. Right. And in fact, you won an award today, you and Chris Mitchell and the uh, Georgia Municipal Association for your advocacies in that big battle. Was that the second, by the way, was that the second major struggle in the legislature in Georgia? It was, last? yes. We, we uh, were able to derail the Georgia legislation two years in a row. Okay. So now, what was, you know, if you were to give maybe some advice to communities that might face this again, what were some of the things that you observed? I mean, there was an outpouring of support, but how, you know, how was it coordinated? How was the messaging, you know, executed? And more importantly, maybe, how was the interaction with the legislature, uh, how was that implemented or executed? Well, uh, first of all, uh, a, key, a key element is that you have to have a coalescing of local leadership early on. Mm -hmm. uh, there have to be uh, commitments from the, either the state associations that represent municipalities or municipal utilities or all of them, the, the more the better, to mm -hmm. uh, jump on this issue at the earliest date, uh, to uh, become themselves educated about the risks involved, about what is in the law, what is not readily apparent in the law, but can have profound effects. Um, for example, we mentioned earlier that uh, a number of uh, state laws have uh, what they call level playing field or mm -hmm. fair competition provisions. They look on the surface to be uh, positive and... Uh, to they seem express. logical. They, sure, <laughs> sure. But in fact, uh, they create uh, tremendous pressures and tremendous burdens. And um, uh, that is a significant detriment. You know, when there are uncertainties, when there are additional burdens, uh, when there are threats to uh, funding, uh, threats of litigation, mm -hmm. uh, communities are usually conservative. And uh, while they, you know, while they uh, begin to recognize they need the advanced communications infrastructure, they don't want to buy into years of litigation. And uh, so, so these these barriers are effective, and uh, and that's what their intent is. So it's important to understand how the laws work. It's important to have uh, tools that you can use with legislators. Legislators are not full-time state uh, government officials. They have jobs. They come together for three, four months. They look at uh, sometimes a couple thousand bills. They don't have the time to explore in depth what you're doing. So you have to help educate them with handouts, with one-pagers, with 
uh, white papers. You have to respond to the arguments that the carriers uh, have uh, made to them. And you, you, you have to uh, get people to get on the phone and call their legislators. Uh -huh. You have to have uh, the national uh, media, the, the folks like uh, Craig Settles, uh, who can uh, come in and um, uh, transiently talk about the situation in ways that uh, uh, non-experts can understand. And uh, all these things have to come together. It is a colossal waste of everybody's time. I wish we didn't have to do it. Right. I wish... I wish we could just, with a flick of a finger, uh, roll back the uh, 20 or so state laws that uh, have effect of some form of limitation, but I, I fear that's not going to happen um, across the board uh, in the immediate future. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of tactics, uh, my introduction to the space, this whole community broadband issue, was when my home, well, former hometown, Philadelphia, uh, decided it was going to build a citywide uh, municipal-owned network. Then all of a sudden, Harrisburg, the state capital, uh, came up with legislation to kill that. Now, Philadelphia waged a fairly aggressive, you know, all-media-involved kind of uh, counterattack. I mean, there was email, there was news, there was you know trips to Harrisburg and so forth. And so that was in 2004, I believe. So from 2004 to 2014, have the communities that have been successful, have they been waging the same or using the same kind of tactics? And if so, what are they? Because clearly if they're, you know, if they're consistently winning, we should probably take note of <laughs> what some of the more effective ones are. Okay, so in the case of Philadelphia, um, the uh, uh, key, in part, was to have the governor be a former mayor of the city. Did not hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right. And to carve yourself out of the restriction, mm -hmm. uh, which is what happened. Philadelphia essentially uh, got uh, Verizon to pre-waive its objections. Mm -hmm. And uh, the legislation went through, affected everybody else, and uh, Philadelphia was... Uh, uh, carved out of the effects of the restrictions. Uh, I'm not sure that lesson applies uh, anywhere else. Uh, it is, as a matter of fact, it is common that uh, when a barrier is uh, proposed, the uh, communities that have already uh, made uh, some form of uh, steps forward will get at least a partial grandfather. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, restrictions generally try to stop their expansion, which is itself uh, a, a restriction. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, so in any event, when, when there are threats, when there are uh, communities that have gone forward, the uh, advocates of the legislation try to take them out of the argument mm -hmm. by by making it less offensive to them, usually doesn't work. Right. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that uh, uh, otherwise what happened in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, we, we, we had lots of different organizations representing lots of different interests as part of the battle, but as it happens, uh, Verizon carried a lot more stroke with the legislature of Pennsylvania than all the combined other forces right. and the law went through. Right, and I, actually that is sort of a, a point there, was that it wasn't necessarily a victory for, well, it wasn't a victory for the state, it was a victory for Philadelphia. And as a result, um, you know, we, we learned some interesting things about mobilizing uh, community support and making it you know, a headline news item and actually getting, you know, the restriction in the first place. Well, the irony was, the irony was that the Pennsylvania law was so ugly in its effect, essentially giving the um, incumbents a right of, uh, a right to say no to a community, mm -hmm. that it helped us to build a huge nationwide coalition that was in place 
in 2005 when 14 states proposed barriers. Now, I mentioned earlier that we were able to uh, either defeat outright or water down almost all of those bills. Mm -hmm. That may not have been possible, but for what happened in Pennsylvania. Right. And uh, a couple of years later, one of Verizon's presidents and I were on a panel, and he said that uh, what happened in Pennsylvania, their victory now, uh, turned out to be, what word did he use? Um, it turned out to be, um, I, I'm sorry, it's not I can't a pirate, maybe. No, no, no. Um, maybe I'll remember before the end. No but, but in any event, a debacle for, for Verizon. That okay. was Because uh-huh. I know, you know, one of the things I think Verizon um, seemed hurt. I mean, of all the people that I had, all the, all the incumbents that I have criticized in my time and my blogs and whatnot, Verizon was actually the only company that ever had their PR folks call to, to, to talk about, you know, how I position them and, and their position being, you know, as anti-municipal network. And well, Verizon for many years now has said that we don't think that on the merits municipal or other public broadband initiative makes sense, but we're not going to oppose them. Mm-hmm. And that, that was not its position in Pennsylvania in 2004, but it had evolved to that position by the time that vice president and I were mm-hmm. on that panel where mm-hmm. he called what had happened before a debacle for, right. for uh, Verizon. So they have, they have kind of changed. So let's talk about... Um, well, let's talk about Tennessee, and then we can kind of go back and look at Kansas a little bit more. But so we've had cases where either um, a new bill is being introduced, so it seems like that kind of activity has lessened, or states already have restrictions or trying to ratchet up the, the restrictions on them. So then all of a sudden we have can, uh, Tennessee, and when I say all of a sudden, mainly on the national scene. I think that you know you talked about the bill, you know, a bill to kind of roll back restrictions have come, has come up a couple of times, but I think on, in, the, in the national scene in, in the broadband area, Tennessee is just kind of written up as one more state that has a restriction. Um, is, the, is the constant attempt to dial this back, is this, um, I don't know, indicative of an increasing amount of legislative rethink? Uh, is there something about the dynamics of, you know, like the Google initiative and some of the national attention? What's, what's driving Tennessee? Well, um, I think what's, what's driving uh, Tennessee is um, the success of uh, Chattanooga, perhaps. Ah, that could be. Now, the bill that we're talking about has been introduced in various forms several years now, and it has never passed. Mm-hmm. Among the things that the bill does is that it bottles up Chattanooga in its own footprint right. and prevents it from providing service outside its territory where it has uh, potential customers that are eager to, to receive its service. Mm-hmm. And so you know, there are other restrictions in the bill, but you know, that's the one uh, that was the subject that's of the this hammer. year. Right. Yeah. And, um, so there are uh, people in Tennessee who um, have, uh, in the past, not been supportive of legislation of this kind, who are questioning whether it really makes sense to hold back the, the Chattanoogas or prevent other mm-hmm. Chattanoogas from stepping forward. Now, we've long argued that uh, people who are libertarian or conservative uh, or even are Tea Party should be our allies. They should be saying that uh, these kinds of projects are proposed by small governments that are accountable to the people for reasons of economic development primarily, mm-hmm. that they're, uh, they're good for the communities, but whether they're good for the communities or not, that's a choice that local people should make for themselves. Right. That's not something that some company or some legislature should impose on communities. They, they should make those choices. They're going to be on the line 
uh, for what happens, and they should have a right to decide. And for the first time this year, uh, that um, kind of thinking seems to be winning more support. Not mm -hmm. enough support this time around to actually uh, get the bill through in the face of strong opposition from the uh, established carriers. But that's, that's an important uh, dialogue that seems to be moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I'd certainly like to see uh, that kind of discussion uh, much more broadly uh, held uh, across the country where uh, individuals or others are considering barriers because it's an important point. Right. Um, at the same time, um, the Federal Communications Commission and the White House and NTIA uh, are all uh, sympathetic or, or even more toward the ability of communities to make decisions for their own futures. Uh, they think that uh, the more advanced communications broadband networks we have, the better it is for our country's global competitiveness and quality of life and education and public safety and healthcare. All of these things benefit from uh, advanced communications networks in the way that everything benefited from uh, being electrified. Mm -hmm. And it's a platform and driver of a lot of progress in a lot of different areas at the same time. And we should not be excluding any potential viable means for getting more of those networks. And we've got an important stake as a global leader in making that happen for America's good. And, uh, these also are important points that sometimes are very difficult to squeeze into the uh, dialogue that happens uh, around proposed barriers. Mm -hmm. Now, is there a danger of, um, because many of the legislatures that have enacted these bills and threatened to you know, try to bring some more on, are fairly conservative, and they're, they're, they are anti-big government and so forth. Is there any possibility that having the FCC come out forcefully in favor of removing these restrictions would lead to a, you know, sort of a political partisan digging in of the heels? Well, uh, that's certainly possible. Uh, but I'd say that uh, the alternative um, is not attractive either. Um, it's one thing to stop a proposed barrier. It's much, much more difficult to undo one that's already mm -hmm. in place. And um, so uh, in the absence of uh, more voices from many uh, different directions saying, you know, we need a better way of proceeding here, um, I, I don't on balance that uh, support from the federal government is uh, a net negative. Right. Because it'll join other voices and they'll be in sync and so right. subsequently you don't have to say, well, we're doing this and if we do this, we will be kowtowing to Washington and heaven knows we don't want to do that. So, you know, so it's just, yeah, I can see where, right. where and many voices makes a, makes a difference. Right. And, and you, are, you are clearly correct that uh, uh, outright help from the FCC is not welcomed by everyone. Uh, some folks just focus on localism, and uh, they say that you know, help from help is as bad as uh, uh, negative things from mm -hmm. the outside. Mm -hmm. At the core, the issue is we should have the right to decide our own fate, and um, in principle, uh, if we say that no one should restrict our right, uh, that ought to be the end of it. And it, you know, we shouldn't have to uh, look for outside help. Mm -hmm. But the barriers are in place. More will be introduced. I hope not, but you know, it mm -hmm. seems that history uh, would suggest that there will be more barriers introduced over some years. And uh, I think it's on balance uh, very favorable to have uh, an organization like the FCC and NTIA and the White House and all that uh, expressing from their national perspective uh, what's, what's important for the country mm -hmm. to do.
Now, in Tennessee this year, there were actually eight bills, basically two companion, or what, what do you call that, companion bill, or two companion well, bills when you... A companion bill is typically thought to be uh, the bill on the other side of the legislature. So right. if you have a House bill, its companion would be a similar bill on the Senate side, right. because in the end, both the House and the Senate have to enact legislation, and then and then they reconcile it all. They reconcile, and then it goes to the governor. So mm -hmm. uh, sometimes in some legislatures, a bill will go through one house, then get dumped in the second, and they'll consider it sometimes. Uh, bills move up simultaneously in both uh, in both houses, and then ultimately get reconciled. Mm -hmm. But is it odd that we have four different bills. There were there there was one specific to a city, one specific to a county, and then the other two were general across the state. One would roll back the you know that footprint restriction and I forget what the fourth one did, but I was always curious during that process um, if there was some strategy that I was missing in terms of, you know, were they rolling out four to, to keep the incumbents off guard or you know, what, what was that all about? Uh, I can't speak to what specifically the strategies were behind the four particular bills that uh, were introduced in, in Tennessee. Let me say, however, that as a general matter, um, it is not unusual for the uh, members of a legislature that represent certain areas to introduce legislation that favors the particular interests mm -hmm. of of uh, the uh, businesses or communities that they represent. And so uh, sometimes uh, the issues are of general application. Sometimes they're specific to particular areas. Sometimes um, there's concern that the general legislation won't pass. So having more narrow uh, legislation might have a better chance of going forward. Mm -hmm. What exactly happened? in uh, Tennessee this year I can't talk about. I don't know. Right. And um, I, I was kind of late getting to that party because it was, um, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, I think this, this rollback effort is probably made, is well is known in Tennessee, but not necessarily known outside of the state. Um, at the time that I heard about it was probably mm, three weeks ago, and it was right after um, it was right after the uh, Utah thing went down for the third time. Uh, post Kansas, and so you know, here, so here's this activity that's going on. Um, the latest that I've heard, though, is that two of the bills um, have been tabled, and I don't know what the status of the other two are. So it seems like we have uh, gotten where it was before. And again, because I haven't followed the past years, I don't know if the number. I don't know if the numbers of sponsors is an indication of growing support because almost all of those bills had three and four co-sponsors. Um, at the end of the day, it's whether a bill can move or not. Right. And um, my understanding is the ones that would have statewide effect are not going to move this year. Uh -huh. uh, and that, uh, that pretty much means that they're not going to pass. Right. And um, while, as I said, it seems that there were more voices this year than in years past arguing in favor of the bills, in the end, uh, they, they still aren't going to pass. If, uh, if there's an effort next year, maybe there'll be more voices, maybe other things will have happened in the interim to make the passage of them more likely mm -hmm. than it was this year. That all remains to be seen. Now, today at, uh, at the STOA conference, we heard from Representative Brawley and, and a couple of other folks that were basically saying, in effect, you know, we've got a bad bill. We've got a bill that's standing in the way of progress. Mm -hmm. And we have a legislature that is actually working against itself because on one hand, they have enshrined this anti-municipal bill and on the other hand, they're saying, well, all students have to go to digital learning materials, which pretty much, if you're going to get that stuff online and communicate and collaborate and have study groups, 
you, you have to have a fast internet connection because those books are kind of huge and, you know, the graphics and all. And so the sense that I got from his comments was that we have an untenable position and it is up to the people to apply the pressure to, to, to get us past all of this. Now, if I look at Tennessee and I look at North Carolina, right, they have similar, uh, I think, levels of conservatism in the legislature. They have, I don't know, maybe North Carolina's bill is looked at as being more restrictive than Tennessee. I guess it depends on who you talk to. But is, is the, the call to basically rise up that we heard this morning, does that kind of call have potential? You know, is it possible that next year, if there is a you know, significant uprising in, in both North Carolina and Tennessee, that we'll get over the hump this time of you know, rolling back restrictions? Uh, I would hope so, and I agree with the message that um, if you uh, are opposed to something that your legislature has done, uh, it's your job to communicate your concerns to your representatives, and if your representatives don't agree with you, then you need to think about supporting other candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the way the legislative process works. Right. And um, uh, clearly, the point that you made earlier uh, came through loud and clear here. Uh, what, what, what's, the, um, what's the argument for removing books from kids if they don't have the uh, connectivity that would enable them to uh, educate themselves in in the alternative. Right. I mean, that's immoral. <laughs> among other things. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Right. And uh, these are these are education issues in the sense, uh, you know, there's certainly education of the kids, but it's also education of the legislators to understand what's at stake. Why they're being silly. Yeah. Right, and that's just one example. Right. I mean, we're we're talking about core economic development. We're talking about access to more affordable health care. We're talking about smarter transportation. We're talking about uh, public safety. We're talking about all of these things at the same time. We're talking about a platform that uh, is going to support the growth and evolution and development of so many different areas of our life to deprive uh, to deprive communities, to deprive a state of access to the connectivity that will enable all of that evolution to happen doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is a discussion that uh, legislators who have just you know, accepted what they're told about uh, how communities shouldn't be uh, doing these sorts of things need to hear and need to understand because it seems to me this is not a this is not a, a conservative versus liberal sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Conservatives ought to be at the core supporting these efforts by people who have accessible local governments trying to do what the people want them to do. And if you can't have local communities representing the interests of local constituencies in a world where we're dealing with larger and larger and more and more inaccessible major organizations, mm -hmm. what does conservatism really mean? <laughs> Very true. Very true. Now, one of the things I observed about last year's uh, battle in Georgia mm -hmm. was that the broadband advocates appeared to rally to have rallied a lot of business interests. They they rallied chambers of commerce. They rallied individual businesses. They had those networks in place that were creating and producing economic development uh, results at the foreground. Right. So economic development was a large lever. Mm -hmm. In in the next round, you know, call it you know the 2015 round. Will education, could education become as viable a lever as economic development? Well, it is already an important lever, but in the 20 years that I've been involved in this, economic development is always 
the number one issue for local okay. governments. In every campaign, in every initiative, economic development is the top three considerations that drive these projects to move forward. That should be something that's apolitical. Uh, it should be something that crosses all of the uh, potential divides. Mm -hmm. Everybody agrees that, ec that economic development is a good thing for uh, communities and, and individuals and so on and so forth. They may disagree on what exactly economic development means right. and whether um, economic development as measured by a successful company is what you're looking for or mm -hmm. whether economic development should result in meaningful work for your population and they're not always the same thing. Right. But economic development, I predict, will not ever become the number two consideration. Okay. Just based on history, it will continue to be the main driver, but other things will also increasingly be um, factors that uh, legislators and others understand to be in play. Mm -hmm. And if you want to rally the, the population, are they equal or is it do you think that you can motivate more people by an argument of education um, either equal to or maybe even greater than economic development? And, and by the way, one thing to think about was you and I believe with Chris, we were on that sort of that panel radio show where we had a representative from Arkansas, and she was very forceful about uh, you know, the education issue, and she was able to get a lot of support for that. Yeah. And, you know... I'm wondering. I, 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 by emphasizing economic development, I don't mean at all to denigrate the importance of education. Oh no, no, not definitely not. It is, it is, absolutely an important consideration. To some people, it appeals to them even more than economic development. I'm just saying that uh, based on, uh, based on you know, 20 years of experience, economic development has always been the uh, the large uh, elephant right. in the discussion, and I think that it will continue to be. But education is unquestionably an important consideration, and uh, it, it will also be a, a, an important debating point. Right. I'd, put, I'd put education and economic development out there as the top two right. uh, by far. Bar none. Right. It's just if you know if I were advocating to a group, an audience, uh, you know, of, of folks who are facing, you know, taking on this challenge next year, next session, that they look at, say, maybe education as you know equal when they're trying to rally the the general population, right? Because I see when you're when you're leading the charge in this effort, you've got two groups to consider. You've got to consider getting your populace to rise up to, mm -hmm. to at least in intimate intimate that you know what we put you in office and we can take you out of office, which having, you know, a couple of thousand people show up and write letters and call, that conveys that, right? But so you, but you got to get that, those people to have that fervor. And then on the, when you are talking to legislators, you have economic development, bar none, is their key concern because they see that as, you know, vital to their constituents' existence. I'm just saying you sort of have a, not a divided message, but you, you, you focus on one with one audience because you want to rally them. And then you have the other folks. Yeah, and and I I don't uh, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, it's a different discussion, however, because mm -hmm. you can support education without necessarily um, being against or for a state barrier on other kinds of things. You right. can, you can, for example, separate and wire up schools, okay? Right. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, if you carve out education, you can say, okay, I, I've dealt with the education issue. Now let's get back to barring these networks. <laughs> okay? Right. So uh -huh. we have programs that are intended to provide uh, state and federal funding for schools. Schools are hot right now. Mm -hmm. a part of Connect Ed, and uh, you know, there have been a couple of billion more funds that are going to be directed to uh, wiring up, not just wiring up schools, but also helping to provide 
computers and other kinds of facilities mm -hmm. once, once the connectivity gets there. So um, uh, education certainly is uh, going to be an important issue, but the arguments are slightly different. Right, right. Um, and, and talking about, you know, rising, raising up the masses in righteous indignation, Kansas City was, uh, I think, impressive for both the intensity and the swiftness with which they were able to mobilize. Because I remember Kansas State. Kansas, the state of Kansas, sorry. Because you called me on Tuesday, and I called Chanute on Wednesday, and there was like, you know, there was still a bit of shock, the fact that this all like dropped out on Monday, and people had no idea that it was coming. And there was like a certain sense of doom and gloom in that phone conversation. But by Thursday and Friday, it was like all cylinders were firing, and it was, you know, it was like you had unleashed a 7th Cavalry. Is that, you know, rare? Is that, can that be replicated? You know, how do you read the Kansas situation? Well, again, I wasn't on your call with Chanute. I think uh, we weren't, in fact, surprised, but I think they were nevertheless uh, deeply disappointed in seeing the bill actually ah, appear and, and take actually, form. Right, and... and um, Hope springs eternal that you know the bill wouldn't have gotten uh, passed, wouldn't have gotten introduced, but it happened, and they probably uh, caught them at a down moment. Right. Uh, that passed very quickly, and uh, we all got very, very active, very, very. Quickly. And, and that's my point was that there was this. It was sudden. It was incredibly swift, and um, now. You know, compared to Georgia, was it, you know, a, a faster reaction? Because I don't know if, if Georgia had been sort of mobilizing for a while before they turned the public part of that campaign loose. But, uh, but I didn't know that from, from the Kansas perspective, it was, you know, within a week we're basically mm -hmm. up and running and breathing fire. Um, I, I can't really compare the two because both seem to need to rally very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, once the once the uh, uh, bill was there and it was something uh, we could point to and say, uh, here it is. Now we got to react. Mm -hmm. uh, it's you know, you and I can say over and over again that there might be a bill next year, and uh, you ought to get ready for it. But it's difficult to uh, get. Local governments that have limited budgets and limited mm -hmm. time and limited priorities to gear up unless and until it's right there and it's actually going to happen. Right. Uh, fortunately, we have uh, uh, we've been through enough of these campaigns that, that we know what has to happen pretty quickly. Right. And um, you know, once a, a bill is introduced, uh, we know within reason what. Uh, what it's likely to say and uh, what it means and so on and so forth. Uh, in Kansas, we didn't have to this year do much uh, creative reading because it was <laughs> the most... It was pretty blunt. It was the most in-your-face, get-out-of-my-life <laughs> kind of bill that I've seen in, in many, many years. True. And, uh, uh, it was it was pretty. I think you know again for you know from the audience perspective, those who listened. To, in fact, the show on Kansas and that whole was one of the more uh, listened to shows this year for me actually, mm -hmm. and people really cued you know cued in on that uh, uh, pretty quickly. You know, I have to yeah. say, um, it's interesting to me, you know, because in, in about um, in about an hour or so, I'm going to go in and talk to the folks here about how do you prepare for. The, the politics of this thing. And one of the things that to me has been a common thread um, throughout all of the successes, uh, and even in North Carolina where eventually, you know, the, the, the incumbent side won. Well, we, one, we won for four years. That's what I'm saying. We right. There were the several rounds round. of yeah. uh, successes. And in those North Carolina successes and other successes, the ability to mobilize people, get them out the door, 
when legislators were doing things like changing meeting times and days and changing locations and whatnot, you know, Wilson, not Wilson itself, but the whole state of North Carolina was a marvel to behold. I mean, I sort of look at this as sort of, the, you know, the, the political tactician kind of thing. You know, your ability, you know, as a, as a state or a bunch of state advocates to mobilize a population on what is not a easily to under, an easy-to-understand concept. I mean, broadband... Why am I going to drive to state capital to, like, talk to a legislator I've never talked to before? You know, but the thread seemed to be there were folks, there was, there was a core of folks able to mobilize the population and get them out the door. Well, um, to, to return to uh, North Carolina in 2011, what marked the big difference between what happened that year and what had happened in prior years was that at the time that the bills were introduced in the prior years, there was still the possibility of discussion. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, we would put together our letter that included Google and Alcatel-Lucent and the national organizations, and uh, uh, that would cause people to step back and say, well, let's talk about this. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's something here that we're not considering. In 2011, our sense was that it was over before it began. Because they were not willing at all to be flexible. You could not have any, any discussion. They didn't want to hear it. Uh, they had their numbers. Uh, it was going to happen, and our only uh, strategy uh, that we were effectively limited to was trying to make the uh, best of the uh, uh, grandfather provisions for the mm-hmm. networks that had already uh, gotten started. Uh, there was uh, there was room for some discussion on those issues, but there was no room for discussion on whether the bill, with its restrictions, were, was going to pass or mm-hmm. not. Um, and uh, and that's unfortunate as. As you know, in uh, in South Carolina, we won the first year. Second year, uh, we uh, we should have won that too because we we got to the very last day of the session. The legislature closed at five o'clock. That should have been the end of the bill and the mm-hmm. end of uh, a concern, at least for another year. But the um, uh, person who had control of the clock, extended the time by a few minutes. Harshness. Called for a vote. And, oh. and after the session was over, uh, or what it was scheduled to be, uh, there was a vote on the legislation, and it passed something like 5.05 p.m. Oh, my. That's a little harsh. I mean, Well, the, the legislation's harsh, and, and the impact on communities, uh, you know, as you heard today, uh, Harold Young of... Orangeburg County. I mean, this is a county of persistent poverty mm-hmm. that wanted to use advanced communications to lift themselves out of that to the extent that they could, and uh, you know, then to be confronted with a legislation that would have prevented them from doing it, but for the fact that we're able to also carve out some portions of their their county. It's harsh. It's very harsh. These laws are stupid. You know, they ought not to exist. They ought to be rolled back, uh, and and uh, it's hard to do, but uh, they, they ought to be rolled back or preempted, one mm-hmm. thing or another. And I would, you know, I would make the argument that with the prevalence of the the issue, the news, uh, the Google, the Mar- um, Macquarie's, all of this momentum toward broadband. I mean, in high speed and gigabit and gigabit city, that I would think that after a certain point, unless you were just totally, you know, I don't know, clueless, or I don't know, you know, as you relate to your constituents, how often can a legislator return home and meet their constituents saying, why should only Chattanooga? Why should only this county, Clarksville, I believe it is, why should they be the only ones having broadband? You know, and as I listened or as I read Senator Bowling's comments in, um, in Tennessee, she being one of the senators um, 
that, that sponsored one of the four bills, right? You know, her line of rational thought and response to the Tea Party and response to the incumbents was that this is a community issue. This mm-hmm. is not about, you know, level playing field and all the rest of that. You know, it's like, isn't there a certain point at which that it becomes inevitable that this thing turns back because there's just so much pressure on communities wanting to have this? You would think that would be the answer, but the question is when that would happen. Mm. Um, You know, the the incumbent carriers are basically saying, we don't want to do certain areas. Uh, It's not economic for us, but we don't want... The, those communities doing it themselves, either in a way that would work. Right. Um, as uh, I, was, I recently gave an NPR interview, and as the interviewer put it, they're basically saying, uh, "We don't want it. We don't want our cake, and we don't want to eat it either." <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, we don't want you to have a piece of the cake as well. We're going to all starve. We're going to all go without dessert together. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's that's immoral, you know. And how long? Mm-hmm. How long can that continue while the trends with Google building out cities and Ceasefire and others building out cities, how long can you tell uh, areas of the country that it's okay for you to be left behind? Right. It's okay for your kids not to have the benefit of the best education that others are getting elsewhere. It's okay for you not to have advanced transportation systems that's wrong, and the question is, at what point? At what point do the uh, legislators say enough of this? I'm not enacting new barriers, or I'm not willing to uh, continue to see barriers uh, sitting on the book. Um, to bring us back to the opening uh, questions you asked, uh, I would sincerely love to be able to look back on this year as being the watershed year where the pendulum swung permanently mm-hmm. against barriers. Right. But it's, you know, we'll know that in retrospect, and it's hard to tell where we are at right. any one point. Right. Because I would look at, you know, and this is where mm-hmm. our, our closing uh, comments, but, you know, I look at Kansas City and... Um, See, you mean Kansas State? I'm sorry, again. sorry, sorry, sorry. See, anytime, <laughs> anybody, since you know, we're in the communications business, anytime someone says Kansas City these days, they immediately think about Google Fiber right. in Kansas City. Exactly. So we're, you got to be clear. <laughs> you got to be clear that you're talking about Kansas right. State. Right. So the state of Kansas, right? All right. This represented to me a um, a smackdown that caught the legislature by surprise. I mean, at least based on the comments I heard, both informal off-the-record comments and comments made in the media, that these folks weren't expecting this kind of thing. I mean, you know, you look at all the other states, you know, Georgia, North Carolina, they have been through it. They had to run it three or four times, you know, so they kind of got used to what the pushback was going to be. And so here comes Kansas, you know, the state of, saying, okay, here, this is going to be, you know, draconian, and it's going to be complete. And and we're going to let our lobbyists write the bill for crying out loud, and because their rules will allow that kind of procedural thing to happen. And poof, here it is. And then all of a sudden they were just embarrassed. I mean, that's how I looked at it in their their comment. Well, I think there's something to that. If you look at the website of this bill, you see there's no sponsor. Right. No, no one stepped up to own this bill, <laughs> and it became clear afterwards that it was drafted by the Cable Association, right? Uh, Kansas uh, Cable and Telecommunications Association, and that um, it is quite possible that the first time some of the key members of the Senate, where the bill was ultimately somehow uh, introduced, the first inkling they had that there even was such a bill was, was when the tsunami of opposition to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the calls. Oh, the agony. 
and it was pretty it was pretty swift. It was you know, mm-hmm. and um, I will touch on this in the um, uh, in in the session I'm going to do in a little bit here. This I think is one of those things that goes fifty fifty, right? So there is a certain feeling that you don't name names and you don't personalize it, right? And I will agree, you know, you should not trash talk people. You should not call into account their lineage, their parentage, or their dog, right? But at the same time, I feel that part of the, you know, the reason why this thing was effective, and even those first, you know, North Carolina battles were effective, was that people were naming names, that people were at a national level putting names out there, you are the one who sponsored this bill. You, it is your committee, you guys voted this way by name, and oh, by the way, you know, here comes Stop the Cap with you took this much money and you took this much money. Now, yeah, and, and Bill never says, you know, they, they voted because they got the money, but he basically drew the line and put it out there in the spotlight, dudes, you guys are taking this money and you're supporting this realm of legislation. I personally, now this is the radical in me, feels like shining the light on this kind of nonsense has value. I believe that some of the local folks may want to tread carefully on that because they've got to, you know, live with hopefully a, you know, a compromise. They've got to deal with these people in the following years, right? So you don't want to, like, totally mess up your yard. But at the same time, you get into one of these situations, you've got, you got to play to win. And I don't think shining the light on specific people is a, is a bad thing. But am I wrong? Am I the Berkeley liberal? <laughs> well, you know, at the core of the argument for localism is that the local officials who support the project are going to own the credit or own the blame. Yep. It's accountability, and you ought to be accountable for the state legislation that you are backing so the voters can determine whether they agree with you and if they don't agree with you that they ought to be able to say this is the reason why or this is among the reasons why they are opposed to your continuing to occupy your seat in the state legislature Mm -hmm. so that makes our very our very point that accountability is at the core of all of this and it ought to be at the state legislative level as much an issue as it is uh, locally. How, you know, how accountable is, um, how accountable is, uh, you know, the major carrier to your community? Uh, certainly how accountable are they to you because they uh, advance state legislation? They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not, in, and that's one of the core things that communities feel is wrong. They want they want advanced communications network. They can't get it. They almost always ask the incumbents for it first before they move on exactly, to the Exactly, exactly. Right. And so um, you, you've touched on the core, one of the core issues, representatives and citizens of uh, local communities. Right. And so, you know, don't make it personal. Don't necessarily make it partisan because at the local level, generally, it is not partisan at the local level. But on the flip side, as a tactic to get progress, it's good to shine some light on some folks because they hate to have light shine on. I mean, they just do. I mean, the the person who headed the committee in, in Kansas was fairly livid at the fact that her name was now a national whipping post, you know, for everything that's wrong about bad mini broadband bills. I feel bad. I'm not sure how well she thought this out or really thought about the implications. But on the flip side, you know, she well, was ba- her committee was about to screw over a bunch of small communities in their state and those are the people that elected them. Well, and in the city of Chinook, this, is a, this came out through a statewide petition that had circulated mm-hmm. directed to her and uh, the city of Chinook apologized if she took that as personal. It wasn't, right. wasn't intended to be. It was directed at her committee, which was considering the bill, and she's the chair of the committee. Right. So uh, she took it as a personal affront, but that's uh, not how the city of Chinook intended it. Right. And I just think that, you know, 
it works sometimes. Jim, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much for being with us today. Thank you again for the opportunity, Craig. No worries. Take care. And to our audience, thank you very much for listening again. And we'll be back next week with more good, interesting stuff here on broadband. Take care. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.